Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes, when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Operator Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Whew, this is episode 55. Episode 55, the double nickel of the Operator Podcasts. Thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here. Once again, we are going to get into anything that we think an operator should talk about and discuss. Dropping comments in the in the comment section, I guess, if you will. If you want to DM or whatever, or tweet a reply or X a reply at Twitter. If I'm wrong, if you're wrong, we can talk about everything because we are also connected because of social media and we all get along and we'll live happily ever after. We're going to talk about everything we can. We will get into politics because we can't help it. We will get into hearings on Capitol Hill because they can't help it. We'll talk about laptops from hell. We'll talk about um, using government funds as your personal taxi. We'll talk about politicians and their families, my family, (laughs) my politics, and uh, a little bit of military stuff, what we can get into, some current events, hopefully, and stuff just changes. But happy Friday, episode 5-5. Five, five. Preparation and mastering the basics, keeping your head on a swivel and situational awareness. And speaking of preparation, before we get into it, I need to talk about my Patriot Supply because it's very, very important to be prepared. Our world can change at a moment's notice. We are constantly on the brink of a financial collapse. It is scary with some of the stuff that is happening. And if you don't think you need emergency food right now, you know, wait a day and see what happens, but don't wait too long. As I speak, preparewithrob.com is offering a huge discount on their best-selling three-month emergency food kit. For a limited time, you'll save 25% per kit. That's the biggest discount they offer, but it doesn't come along every day, and it won't last long. So do yourself a favor and grab your 25% discount on each three-month emergency food kit you need. It includes delicious, and I mean delicious, breakfast, lunch, snacks, dinners, and more, providing over 2,000 calories every single day. Get at least one kit per person in your family. Grab your 25% discount today before this offer expires. You'll also get fast and free shipping. Go to preparewithrob.com. Go to preparewithrob.com, or you may regret it, preparewithrob.com. And on that, too, with preparation, talking about the effects of reckless government spending, corruption. Um, I've been all over the world, and I've seen the effects of that. One of the best stories I have is when I was in Turkey in the late 90s and I got money out of the ATM. I actually have a picture of me getting about 7 to 10 million Turkish lira out of an ATM because that's how worthless their printed money was because they tried to print their way out of everything. Uh, Bad practices, again, corruption, bad spending, bank failures. The, The government just recklessly spending money. Wall Street manipulation, the volatility of Bitcoin, who can you trust? You need to trust something real, something that has had value since the beginning of time, and that's gold and silver from my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or they will deliver it securely right to your front door. Allegiance Gold has the highest ratings in the industry, five stars with TrustLink, a AAA rating with the Business Consumer Alliance, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You can invest with confidence because of the quality and service 
of Allegiance Gold. Right now, get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwiththeoperator.com. That's protectwiththeoperator.com. Do it today or call them at 844-790-9191. 844-790-9191. Protect your future with my friends at Allegiance Gold. Protectwiththeoperator.com or call them today, 844-790-9191. Okay. Here, oh, hey, here it is. Episode 55 of the Operator Podcast. Uh, I thank you once again for joining me. I did not get to release one the other day, Wednesday, because of travel stuff. I like to release them on Wednesdays. It's just a you know hump day, help us get through the hump, but... I was unable because I got stuck in an airport and simply was unable to uh, do the proper research that I wanted to do. Not necessarily that it was a huge day for news. Everything pretty much seems to uh, to go in the same cycles and stuff that we want to talk about. It's dominated by certain things. But just uh, being... <laughs> so here's the flight I was going to take. Just to give you a backdrop. I had an early flight. Not early. Mid, uh, mid-afternoon flight. From Boston Logan to LaGuardia, which is not far. Uh, it should be a, I think when I, I think the last time I flew that way was either one way or the other. It might have been JFK to Boston. I spent a lot of time in, in Massachusetts, a lot of time in New York and other places. But the flight to Boston from New York and vice versa is not a huge deal. I don't even know if there's a beverage service. It's so short. It's a very, very short flight. Last time I did get some cookies. Um, but my flight got delayed and delayed hours upon hours and uh, just didn't, you know, we actually got to the point where we boarded the aircraft and got off the aircraft and we're just kind of milling about smartly, if you will, if you don't have the proper military verbiage. Um, mill about smartly means basically do nothing but stand there. So I stood there. On the plane, off the plane, we ended up getting home uh, fairly late, and uh, I was going to do one Wednesday morning. Just didn't have the time. I didn't. I wanted to be the proper format, and I want. I don't want to put out bad stuff because I. I will. I like. Like I say, the operator podcast. I'm going to give you my advice as a former special operator, what I think about certain things, anything really, and then uh, I want you to give me your input in the comments and tell me what you think. I thought I would be rushing it Wednesday morning, and I didn't want to be wrong. I've been called out for being right and uh, still get called out, still get called nasty words. So I figured we'd do it today, Friday, because Friday, I'm a little more upbeat. It's a good day. I hope you're having a great day. So we're going to just jump into some stuff today and see what we can we can get into. We We need to start, I think, again. I have the notes right here in front of me. Stuff to discuss. I've got a bunch of different windows that are popped up, so who knows what we might get into. And I do have a little list of things. I like to keep them in bullet, bullet format, so perhaps we can talk about a couple of uh, couple of things here. So the big the big story of the week, and we'll just get it out of the way, is the the Hunter uh, Biden plea deal was ignored by a judge. I guess the uh, Hunter and his team went in. They were going to plead guilty, but the judge said no. It doesn't look good because it's something to do with uh, tax evasion and a gun. Uh, having possession of a gun as a drug addict, not necessarily a felon, but you can't do that. And there's other things that go on as far as throwing it into the dumpster and uh, having the Secret Service come help you, which apparently happened. We we you know, it's it's hard to get. Confirmed because, and this this happens on both sides of the aisle. They're they're rarely going to admit, even when their hands in the cookie jar, that they're busted. And we gotta, I mean, we really should thank Hunter Biden for being so clumsy as to leave his laptop somewhere where a lot of people could read it because it's there. I mean, it's there's there's stuff in there. There's been books written about it. The laptop from hell. You've seen the pictures. Marjorie Taylor Greene's getting in trouble for showing. Some pictures of Hunter Biden doing nefarious stuff on his computer and uh, in the Capitol at a hearing. Is that a, the right place to do that? Probably not. And, you know, whatever. And, and the Democrats are going to say, well, 
Uh, he's not involved with the government, and he shouldn't be doing it here. And, and these are the same people that they're they're just outraged with a capital um, O and a bunch of exclamation points that you would show such pornography. Yet they don't have a problem with uh, said pornography being in a a, um, a library at an elementary school. They're they're going to be um, vehemently disgusted when it benefits them. But we can thank Hunter Biden because we wouldn't know. We, I mean, if you you know take it. Take it for what it's worth. It's there. It's real. Uh, half of the country won't admit that it's real, and a lot of the mainstream media won't report on the laptop from hell. But if, if we didn't ha- have the ability to look at Hunter Biden's laptop, we wouldn't know the detail of how corrupt the government is and what they do and how they get away with it. I mean, they're saying uh, something like, you know, a dirty 17 to $30 million that the Biden's had taken the 10% for the big guy. And I wonder who was the other big guy, because there's it, it's not just there. Just He's the one dumb enough to put everything he's ever done, to include smoking crack while driving a vehicle, uh, you know, in plain sight. But a lot of stuff is there. A lot of the conversations with different places, be it China, Ukraine, and the corruption that's in this family, and uh, and a lot of the other families are like it, too. And you gotta, you got to figure, especially someone that's been in office as long as Joe Biden, he, just to get... Just to give you sort of an idea, I mentioned that they love power, and power is trippy. You get power, you get fame, you don't want to lose it a lot of times. If you've never seen it, if you've never been to Congress, never been to a congressperson's office or a senator, especially a senator's office, because even senators like to think that they're above congressmen because there's fewer of them. So they tend to wear the flashier suits, and they have a different office complex. It's, it's kind of like a mall, like a lot of light and elevators and open shit and whatever and they're they're self-important but the thing is they you know they have an they being politicians especially high-end politicians like the ones in washington dc the ones that gather in the buildings and in the capitol and wander around town and have the cocktail hours at the expensive places you got staff everywhere and you got people controlling your minutes and they they got you where you're going people writing your speeches you got people going to vote for you tell you what when to vote and where to vote. You see the psychopaths. Both sides of the aisle are the person in the back that doesn't blink, and if he does blink, it's with one eye in 15 minutes. Creepy shit, but they're there. That's their job. And these Congress people are um, surrounded like that all the time. Everywhere they go, there's going to be media following them. They're going to be getting asked questions. And it's sort of the self-licking ice cream cone. They're asking them questions, they, the media, because they need to ask because that's their job. And so the uh, Congress people feel... The Congress people, the senators, they feel very, very important because everybody wants to talk to me all of the time, and rarely do I get told no, and I always get what I want. And um, then, you know, senators, guys like Joe Biden who have been around for five decades, you have your drivers, you have your office, you have the people asking you questions, you have the yes men, the ass kissers, the lobbyists. And you're kind of used to getting your butt kissed every single place you go. Nobody really wants to buck the system because you can make their life miserable. And you kind of get into this um, this uh, flyover state mentality. Like I said, in a lot of these people, the media included, and in Hollywood will be, there's New York, and there's D.C., and there's Hollywood, and the rest is the Midwest. And that's the way they see it. So they're kind of out of touch. They don't really understand what the normal working person is like. They don't understand what it's like to be an operator. They just know politics and cameras and makeup. And everybody gets to see me. And we'll go yell at each other. You know. And even uh, uh, Donald Trump told me personally it was so weird when he first started working with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer that they would come to the office. And he said Nancy was the nicest damn woman. He's, he's different men. They're in there. And this is the first you know, few days into his administration in 20, uh, 2016, 2017. And he's like, yeah, this is going to be great because they're Democrats. I won as a Republican. Now we can work together and think of all the great stuff that we can do together having had these great meetings with these liberals. And then they go out. Out to the um, to the cameras, and it just completely shifts gear, and they hate them, just despise them, and hate them, and resist, resist, resist. And the, you know, not not to say a lot of politicians aren't like that, but they're definitely playing the game. They're definitely up in the rating so that they can uh, stay relevant and stay powerful. And they don't even realize that they're not as well liked. I mean, look at the look at the uh, look at the approval rating of Congress. I'm pretty sure herpes is more popular. Anyway, but when I first got out of the Navy in 2012, one of the first jobs I got was uh, at a speaking agency where where um, different companies will get in touch with speaking agencies in order to find a speaker for their theme or for whatever they do uh, to keep 
the lights on to keep people employed. They call speaking agencies. And then they pay a speaking fee and you show up and speak. I was talking to the CEO of the company, the first speaking agency with whom I worked, and they and they were out of Washington, D.C. A lot of speaking agencies are in D.C. And they said, it's always funny when someone, uh, usually a congressman or a congresswoman, gets out and then they go to the speaking agencies and then the, the speaking agencies are not interested in hiring them. Because there's no money in that shit. And, and the congressman will be like, what? People hear me speak two, three times a day. Why don't they want to hear me now? And, and the, the agents are like, well, because now the client's paying to hear you. Nobody wants to pay to hear you talk. They're kind of just forced to. So anyway, the point I'm getting at is a lot of these, a lot of these people in power stay in power. And because of the stuff, the, the, everything from the cars, the helicopter rides, the private jets, the, you know, well, I've been to Afghanistan and Iraq to see the troops. Yeah. You were at Bagram or you went to the green zone. Very few of you have been out to a forward operating base or actually talked to the troops, the people on the ground that can make the, that can make whatever kind of sense of what we're trying to do wherever we are. Uh, big time bubble, DC's a bubble. And so a lot of these people are, they are above the law. And you you can see that, that, I mean, right now, let's, per, let's be perfectly uh, honest. And as an independent here, not a Republican or a Democrat, you got to admit a lot of the people in this administration to include the Department of Defense, the Attorney General, um, a lot of the uh, unelected bureaucrats, three-letter agencies, uh, the climate czar, they do whatever they want and just give you the finger. Yeah, do this. Do, I'm going to pardon me while I get on my private jet or go to my island or beachfront property in Martha's Vineyard. Even though the seas are rising, don't, don't pay attention to what I'm doing. Do what I say. So you drive your electric cars that we're going to force on you. I got my private jet, and that's what it is. So did, did you know also, here's something interesting, too, a lot of people don't know. I'm jumping around again, and I don't know everything about politics. I don't know everything about D.C. I've spent a lot of time there. I've got a lot of friends there. Still have a lot of friends there, too, and I hope they can put up with some constructive criticism because it is, it's one of those things probably, too, where it's a lot more – it's easier to s- sit on the sidelines and say, you should be doing this and don't be doing that, and you're an idiot, when you're actually uh, – I think Dan Crenshaw, who's a congressman, former Navy SEAL, said, imagine getting you know, – it's, it's hard to get five people in a room who generally agree to agree with something. Now try to do it with 400 and whatever, but that's, that's true. Um, but it just, it seems to me that it's almost like the, the elected representatives and the elected senators care less about their states or their district and more about their party. They want their party in control. They want the power. There's a dude named uh, John Tester. He's a senator from Montana. That's my home state of Montana. I met John Tester, and I personally don't have a problem with him. I disagree with a lot of his policies and the way he rolls. But he's out there now. Just to give you an example of what's going on, he's, uh, I, I follow him on Twitter, and he's always asking for money, which, which is what politicians do. They're always politicking, always raising money, fundraising, trying to get reelected, because every elected, every elected politician wants the exact same thing, another term. But I'm watching him raise funds, and he's not saying, send money here to reelect me so we can continue to better the state of Montana. He's saying, send me the money to reelect me so we can keep the majority in the Senate. So we can keep the majority in the Senate. So the Democrats can stay in power, or so the Republicans can stay in power. And that's what they give a fuck about. They, keep, they want their party to stay in power. Party, party, party. Look at some of the people that are in there right now. Look at John Fetterman. I think, didn't they have a dress like Fetterman Day and his, 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 uh, his peeps in his office dressed up um, like him? Like, like uh, hoodie and, uh, hoodie and cargo shorts or whatever? Um, and then you've got... Uh, um, I mean, there are people there that are kind of outstaying their welcome. Congress was never supposed to be a retirement community, but that's what it is because they want to keep the car. Look at Senator Barbara Boxer. She can't walk down the hallway. Look at uh, um, uh, Mitch McConnell a couple days ago. He's standing there. And I am not by any means making fun of these people. Health is an issue. And the people around them, the staffers around them, the non-blinking staffers and family members, and if you might be president married to a doctor, Someone might say, holy crap, they, they might not be fit to be doing this. Mitch McConnell was standing there, and, um, and I've been disagreeing with him lately on a lot of things. I've met him before. I've talked to him on the phone. 
he it looked like he had a mini stroke, and that's not funny. And he's standing there, and he just stopped mid-sentence, and he's staring, and it looked... I mean, he had an injury a few weeks ago, I think, and he hit his head. He's got a head injury, and that's severe. And same with Fetterman. He had a stroke. And this is a high-stress job. Even if you're not giving speeches all the time, or you're not getting briefed by people, and you're not talking about... This is a stressful... It's, I mean, it is stressful. And I talk about, you know, it's nice to be there and get the free shit. It's got to be stressful. But people that are that have legit age issues or... or um, they're not quite there mentally or they had a stroke and they can't, like they freeze in front of a microphone. It might be time to consider stepping down, but they never will. People are dying in office now because they won't leave until they die. And that's not what this country's supposed to be about, but because of the party, because we need that vote, we're going to push Fetterman through. We're going to use what we use, whoever's working the polling stations in the big cities in Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh, uh, P- Pennsylvania, come on. You're telling me that's a blue state. Anyway, I'm not getting into that conspiracy theory, but a lot of these people that can't quite get their shit together, can't quite get a sentence together, shake hands with invisible people, wander off, stop talking. And again, not Democrats, not Republicans. For God's sake, you got 77, 80-year-old people arguing that 67-year-old people should be able to retire. Why aren't you fucking retired? Why are you running again? Why aren't there term limits? Oh, that's right. There aren't term limits because you're the lawmakers. Why would lawmakers vote themselves out of office when they can just vote for a bigger raise? For themselves, obviously. They got paid during COVID. Don't worry about that. They're open. And so the thing with all this, the, um, all of this politicking stuff, like I said, with Hunter Biden, we would not be privy to a lot of it without this like hand in the cookie jar, obvious what's happening, but still the, the mainstream media is running away from it. You got, uh, the press secretary at the white house saying there's nothing there. It's all Russian disinformation, which it isn't. Um, but they're going to say whatever they can to stay in power. And that's it. And here's the beauty of it is so see, they wanted they wanted the plea deal with Hunter Biden to go through because if that went through, that's over, and then you can get the shade off of Joe Biden, the president, because, you know, what's he been up to? But the judge, because I think the judge said, or someone said that the judge put someone in prison for something that similar to what Hunter Biden did, so she decided that we're going to go through with it. Hunter Biden pleads not guilty, and uh, <laughs> guilty until proven innocent. Okay. Look at that laptop. Here's the thing. In a week, Congress is going to do something else they do really well. They don't vote themselves out of office, and they do not ever not give themselves raises. They also, starting next week, get a five-week vacation. Okay, and, you know, they're probably not on vacation per se. They are going to hopefully go home to their districts, hopefully have town halls, maybe do some fundraising, maybe talk to constituents, see what people in their districts would like for them to do for their state or their district, not for the party, but they're just party, party, party. But here's a question that I would like for you to help me with, please. And again, at Mikuya, at the Operator Podcast, both on uh, Instagram or at Mikuya, M-C-H-O-O-Y-A-H on Twitter. Drop in there. What I would like a guess, a quick estimation on, in that five weeks, how many times are you going to see President Joe Biden, because he's probably going to be in Rehoboth, in Delaware, at the beach. Is he going to talk to the cameras, or is he not? Because in this next five weeks, this recess, I think, I mean, we do have a short attention span. Maybe, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll forget. I doubt it because they're they're uh, they're investigating business partners and things like that. That should get interesting. A lot of people don't want. Well, <laughs> when when. Uh, when push comes to shove, do you want to be on the slate to testify? A lot of people end up dying. That's weird. I, I mean, just saying. <laughs> and, and just for the record, I don't have any proof of anything, so I'm good. I didn't, and I did not commit suicide next week. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how often we see the president during this, because I mean, he's running again, right? He's he's running. And the Republicans are spicing up, man. They got a lot of people running. Donald Trump's not going to the first debate. I don't think he should either. Well, I mean, he kind of owns it right now. Why are you gonna Why are you gonna go say potentially anything? Not that he's afraid to say anything, but um, he's not running. But everyone's kind of gearing up for this. Here's something you might not know either. And it, it's all gonna come out in the wash. Hopefully, we'll see that. We'll see if something happens. Anything interesting happens. But did you know that a president, a sitting president, can pardon himself? So that's interesting to know. 
And uh, he can pardon anybody he basically wants all the time. So, uh, so on the federal level, a president can pardon himself for anything, which, again, is going to be interesting to see Donald Trump run, because what do you think the first thing he's going to do if he gets elected? Pardon himself, too. Uh, on the federal level, now, a, par- a president, I don't believe, can pardon himself at the state or local level. But a president can pardon himself. I, uh, I had a big list of shit to talk about. And again, politics, D.C., lobbyists, um, the bureaucrats, man, the bureaucrats. That's a lot of the issue because they're not elected, but they're in power. Those are people putting regulations on, on you. Uh, those are people in the state of New York that tell you that you have to have an electric stove uh, you can't use gas. They're coming after the gas. Those bureaucrats are doing it, and they can't be fired because they're government, but they're not elected. So it's not like you can vote them out, too. It's all up to the party in power that puts those kind of people in power. They There was a, a controversy recently in Ecuador, I think, where um, the State Department paid uh, almost $21,000 for drag shows in Ecuador. Um, State Department, if you're not familiar, they deal with foreign policy, so they're diplomats. And... If you want to talk about woke and politically correct, look no further. That's one of the worst. State Department's like that. That's what they do. They show up. They're you know they're they're the political appointees in uh, different embassies, ambassadors, stuff like that. But yeah, the drag show in Ecuador because um, the, it was brought up to me because they said there was a there, there was a, a female marine that was in California. And they said the government were, wouldn't pay to move her body from California to Arlington, but they would pay for drag shows in Ecuador, and that's just taxpayer money. And I don't, I don't, I mean, you can never, I don't, I mean, the Marine Corps is always good about never leaving a fallen member behind. And I don't even know if the Marine Corps or the Pentagon was asked to do it, but there was money raised and uh, the Marine was moved. But people were asking, why should my, um, why should my taxes be funding a drag show? And I, you know, they, for some reason, drag shows and national security get brought up in the same thing. And I'm not a diplomat. I'm not sure what's going on in Ecuador, but I'm pretty sure most taxpayers don't think that they should be taking their tax money should not be taken to fund drag shows. When I don't, I mean, is it helping anyone? You tell me. Possibly. If I mean, if hosting a drag show on the government's dime helps people not get beat up, eh, I guess. And tw- you know, twenty one thousand dollars. What's that in the grand scheme of things? When we're just shitting gold bars and sending them to Ukraine, which is another bag of cats. Why is that? Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of the thing there. Uh, we wanted to talk about that. The Again, I don't have the answers for what the diplomats do. If, if you're worried about your tax money being built, just look look into it. You would be amazed at some of the shit that, that your tax bills, tax money is being spent on. So, yeah. Um, and then I was at, cause, because I wasn't able to come out on Wednesday and do a show, and I'm doing one today, I did ask people what uh, what they wanted to hear about. And a big one was uh, Bo Bergdahl. I guess his, uh, so he was dishonorably discharged and he was charged with misbehavior before the enemy and desertion. And misbehavior before the enemy, which is an odd thing to be charged with, is uh, that is I guess that can be punished by life in prison, and then desertion is a maximum I think of five years, unless at a time of war it can be the death penalty. In a time of war, so Bo Bergdahl, if you're not familiar, he wandered off the base in uh, in Afghanistan, Paktika Province, a number of years ago. And then he was eventually charged. He was the guy that was rolled up by the Taliban. And then uh, inevitably, after five years of brutal captivity, we traded five senior Taliban dudes for him in a, in a weird trade. And we got him back and then he was charged. And then, um, and then uh, that's that. But I guess they just revoked that charge because the judge that initially sentenced him was also applying for a job in the Trump administration and Donald Trump had said he's a traitor and he needs to be executed so that's a conflict of interest the judge might say something to keep the then sitting president happy so he can get a job so they overturned it and um, I guess they're going to appeal and see what happens so he walked off of the base and his part of his defense is uh, 
he was going to go somewhere else. Uh, he wanted to walk to a different base and report on his chain of command that he didn't like the way they were doing business or whatever. And I think the dude's crazy. I'm pretty sure he's he was kind of a uh, um, an an only child type guy, kind of a loner by himself. The guys that were there said that he did pack stuff up and kind of left it there, and he wandered off base like with a knife and a damn spike bracelet or some shit. And I've heard stories that he was going to wander off into the mountains and just start a new life or whatever. And he was one of those guys, too, that wasn't educated enough on what the fuck is going on and how the enemy actually doesn't like you, regardless of your feelings personally and amicably toward them. I was on the base where he was initially stationed. Now, he walked off an OP, an outpost, an observation post, whatever. But I was on the main base where his unit was. And the way that we, and I probably told this story before, but I happened to be there. And the way that we would work is wake up when the, you know, about two hours before the sun goes down, grab your coffee, have a dip, roll over to the tactical operations center, the talk, and get briefed by the intel guys who have been up all day, all night to get you a package to see what you're going to do. And we walked in and during Bergdahl, whatever, and they said, yeah, uh, everything for us has stopped. Some soldier just walked off base. And we, we were at first confused as an assault team. Like, what do you mean he walked off base? They're like, this dude walked off base. Like, he just said, bye. And um, now we got to go find him. And we were intercepting traffic. And I guess, I wish I had this recording still or the transcript. He was found by some locals. So this wasn't far. This was, uh, I want to say, a Fab Sharana. Paktika province. Yeah, it was Sharana, not Shank. Both shitholes. Regardless. In a shithole country. Um, but he walked off base and we got word that the, the locals that, you know, not necessarily the bad guys, but they do need to play by Taliban rules. They said, yeah, we they called the Taliban after they rolled up Bergdahl and said, Hey, we found an American soldier. Do you want him? And the Taliban said, what the fuck do you mean you found him? And they said, we found an American soldier on the side of the road, taking his shit. Do you want him? And the Taliban said, yes, we want him, and he'll never shit right again. Now, what that means is they're basically going to fuck him a lot. And I'm not sure, if you're not into that, uh, if you're not into getting sodomized, I'm assuming one time against your will is a lot. But I'm they, they started that immediately with him and they're also going to roll him toward pakistan we got to get him into pakistan so we shut down our operations and we started spinning up we were trying to do for a number of days um not even hostage rescue more of just an asset recovery like we're trying to find this dude like we he fucked up he knows it now we got to find him and we were so close on a few but we uh, we had to change our tactics for the sake of of time. These are time sensitive now. We would get some intel. We got to get to that house. So instead of landing, not even on the Y. So the difference between going to a target, if you land on the X, you're landing basically on the front porch or fast roping onto the roof. If you land on the Y, you're a few hundred meters away, which is still very dangerous, but you might have a chance at uh, cover and concealment and the helo might not get hit. But we're landing on the X and we're landing in yards. And I'm talking dudes, dudes streaming out of the house because of how loud we're, we're in Chinooks, 47. Those are loud waking up dudes. So we're in a spot where, I mean, you're at a spot now where you don't even know if these are bad guys or if they're just dudes that are protecting their house or they're just scared. So it's a very, very complex situation. And you can't just go around shooting everyone, right? So we're in a bad spot. This is where um, one of our teams inserted somewhere right on top of a PKM got shot. Jimmy Hatch was hit. We lost one of the dogs. Jimmy almost bled out. Uh, the Army did uh, – th they were looking for him for a while too. Uh, his unit had six deaths, and, of course, because when they're investigating at the Bergdahl, they're not going to say, well, it's a direct result of him off base. But six guys from Bo's unit were killed. Morris Walker, Clayton Bowen, Kurt Curtis – Matthew Martinek, Darren Andrews, and Michael Murphy were all killed right around the same time, be it gunshots, gunfights, IEDs, looking for Bo Bergdahl. So a lot of people lost their lives. We lost one of our dogs and a guy, and it was just it shut down the operations in Afghanistan. We were so close to getting him. One of the targets that we hit, I actually had the ransom money someone paid someone else to transport him. We never did get Bergdahl, obviously, and he went to 
Kayeda, Pakistan, where he basically lived near and around the border in a cage, and he was um, not having a good time. It did not take him long to figure out he made a horrible, horrible mistake. So they overturn, I guess, the... Dis- We're going to see what happened. Dishonorable discharge is bad. The, you know, these six people I just mentioned, the, just because we haven't talked about them in a while doesn't mean their family doesn't miss them right now like they did the day they were killed. And they're not going to see them again. There are children that won't see their fathers again. And moms and dads that won't see their sons again because Bo Bergal walked off the base. And that's something to think about. That's a big decision that was made. What do they do with them now? Uh, desertion is punishable by death during a time of war. But was this a time of war? I mean, we're fighting the Taliban. We're fighting Al-Qaeda. We're fighting in Iraq. We got Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom that started off as Operation Infinite Justice out of after 9-11, but we never declared war on anybody. We haven't declared war since World War II. We didn't declare war on Korea, Vietnam, Grenada, Somalia, Iraq or Iraq, or uh, Afghanistan. We've declared. Here's here's okay. I'm going to go through a list of uh, declarations of war. In the War of 1812, we declared declared war on the United Kingdom. They still weren't over 1776, so we whooped their ass again. Thank you, James Madison. Uh, the Mexican American War, May 13th, 1846, we declared war on Mexico. And that was uh, James K. Polk. And here's a little trivia. I believe his nickname was Kingfish. I could be wrong. Um, In 1895, April 25th, we declared war on Spain during the Spanish-American War. World War I. On April 6th, 1917, we declared war on Germany. And then December 7th, 1917, we declared war on Austria-Hungary. Another declaration of war. And then the final time was World War II. On the day after we were hit at Pearl Harbor, December 8th, 1941, we declared war on Japan. And then December 11th, 1941, we declared war on Germany. And also we declared war on Italy because that was the Axis powers. And then June 5th, 1942, so a few years before we invaded Europe, we went ahead and said, fuck it, and declared war on Bulgaria, Hungary, and Romania. That's the last time. So we never declared war... Um, there's some stuff here and there, quasi wars, things like that, and, and uh, different places to do different things, and the government trying to get us in different fights because we're always in fights, and that's how a lot of people make money is through fear and war. And there's never any, um, there's never money in the solution or the cure, but always in the treatment. So the fear is there. But that's so we didn't declare war on Afghanistan. So technically, we weren't at war when Bergdahl was a deserter. What do they do with them now? What do you think they should do with them now? What do I think? I mean, just because of the. Um, just because of the family members that were so, I mean, and negatively affected is not a good way to put it. Her catastrophically affected by people trying to rescue this guy. That he needs he needs to be punished. He has been punished, and I, I'll tell you that. I mean, does he need to be locked up in solitary confinement? I would say probably not. He spent some time in solitary confinement, in between. You know, getting popped out of the cage every once in a while, so every foreign fighter that came in from the Middle East could use him like a rubber fuck doll. He he's he's had some uh, he's had some moments, so that's not for me to decide. But I would love to hear what you think should happen to Bo Bergdahl. I mean, dishonorable discharge, no doubt. Um, does he need to do hard time? That's uh, not up to me, and I'm glad it's not a tough decision. But uh, shouldn't have walked off base, and he did learn that the hard way, now didn't he? And and that's real too. By the way, I'm not like we don't just make that up when we uh, mention. Afghanistan and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. We called them foreign fighters, the um, Arabs that would come up from, you know, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Middle East, Egypt, things like that, uh, to fight in Afghanistan. And even, you know, the Taliban there, and especially some of the, I don't know if if calling them country bumpkins is the right way to say, the dudes that live in the, you know, the hill people. Uh as far as when I said raping uh, prisoners and whatnot, that's that's one of their things too. And I, they actually <laughs> they're so convincing with their arguments that over in Afghanistan, some of them convinced me that it's not a gay thing; it's like a power thing, which 
I mean, whatever. You know, I've heard stories of of dudes that do gay porn, and they say, "No, I'm not gay. I'm just acting." Hmm. I'm not judging, man, but that's. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, they they would do that. I, like I didn't believe when when we first went to Afghanistan. Uh, and when I explain Afghanistan too now, and I, I have a little coarse language, I was enlisted, I was a sailor, I was in the Navy, some bad language, so that's that. But um, I had people tell me that you're not going to believe it unless you see it. You have to go there and see it because I'm not making this up and I'm not trying to categorize people. There's some stuff that happens, and one of, one of them is, and it's it's a warrior thing with them too, is they fuck the prisoners. Man love, man on man. They And then the, the Thursday night Baku Bazi thing, when they, I'm not making that up either. I've... We, when we would go on raids, especially on Thursday nights in Afghanistan, we were mentally prepared for what we might run into, and we ran into it. I'm talking like the uh, the common room where you walk in. There's a bunch of dudes and a bunch of young boys and a bunch of tubs of uh, Vaseline with the big hairy man prints out of it. You know they're doing some shit. So if you think for a second that uh, Bergdahl wasn't on the menu, you're lying to yourself. Especially you got some of those uh, dark mascara eyed wearing motherfuckers that are all about jihad. That you know, and they get a white boy from where's he from Idaho? Yeah, well they're gonna do it. That's some some prime stuff over there. But that's 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 the, what went on with that, and it'll be something to see. That um, you know he got he got he got punished, and it ain't fun, and it ain't cool, and I don't wish it on anybody. I mean I can I mean it sucks to like um, you know like we complain if we're somewhere without cell service for a day. Like you're a POW man, you don't know you don't know if your head's getting cut off at the next minute. You do know you're gonna get worked over like a what have you. I mean, and you know he tried to do Bo Bergdahl tried to escape a few times, got rolled up, and that just uh, wasn't good for him. But that's that's for them to decide. Off that subject, out of Afghanistan, we're, you know, there's reports now too coming coming out that uh, if you can believe it, the Pakistani Taliban now is harboring. Are being harbored in Afghanistan by the Afghani Taliban and the Afghani Taliban, their statesmen are saying that no, we're not keeping bad guys in here because Pakistan's a, a Muslim nation and a brother nation, and we wouldn't do that. Just kind of like they did when they went to Pakistan when we were looking for them in Afghanistan. It's almost, it's almost like they lie to us, but it's still there. Um, it's Afghanistan, it's Pakistan, it's that part of the world, and I don't know if we're ever going to hear from them again. Who knows? If they're harboring Al Qaeda and ISIS and whatever, or just people under different flags that hate the United States and Israel and same names, hope we don't go back. But um, yeah, they it's 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 hard to monitor Afghanistan even when you're there up in some of those valleys too, where they don't know what time is, and they don't even you know know people from other valleys because nobody goes in those valleys. But Afghanistan's that that's the Bergdahl thing. That's my piece on there. Um, we obviously I have now. Um, I have my notes. I have a couple screens, as we call them, iPad, computers. I even broke out a book. I got a book here. I like the old, uh, nothing like the feel of a book and a highlighter. Even if you never go back and read what you've highlighted, it's kind of fun to do that, to to think that you're actually doing something um, pr- productive. What I was looking up, I saw a dude named Ronald Kessler on TV the other day. And he's a he's an author of a lot of books. I got one of his books out here. He's written all kinds of stuff. Um, Secrets of the FBI, uh, the Terrorist Watch, the President's Secret Service. I'm reading uh, the first family detail, which is about um, I don't know how he he got around this because Secret Service agents sign non disclosure agreements NDAs, and obviously you can't talk about stuff that goes on. And it's it's I mean everything from presidents and um, and their families have. Secret Service details forever, which they should. Um, being the most powerful person in the world, you never know if someone's going to eventually come after you. But I'm reading some of his books where someone interviewed someone that interviewed Secret Service agents that were on some of the big details. And I think it goes back to about Eisenhower, maybe. Um, it's fun to read about their, their being the Secret Service accounts of working with people like the Clintons, like the Gores, um, like the Bidens, like the Bushes, uh, President Trump, and hearing, because they're like um, flies on the wall and underappreciated by most 
Uh, there are stories of presidents like Jimmy Carter that wouldn't even uh, look him in the eyes or say hi. Hillary Clinton used to make dudes hide behind curtains when she's walking down the um, down the hallway, and just the details because these are these are men and women with families and they have to follow these people around at their whim. Like I guess one of the things uh, I'm reading about the Bidens right now, I'm fascinated with the Bidens thanks to uh, the laptop from hell, just what they have going on. And earlier I mentioned how. You, when you get to a certain point of you're always doing this and it becomes normal that it's just like the secret service almost can't hear you. Like they, they shouldn't be there, but they they are there and they put up with shit and they do a great job. And even if they dislike the principal, they're going to take a bullet for them. You even see it in, um, <clears throat> uh, the assassination attempt of, um, Ronald Reagan in DC, where the Secret Service agent actually turn on muscle memory facing the gunfire because he's going to take one for the president. and it, But it's, you know, a lot of these um, principals don't think about the Secret Service. I guess Joe Biden was uh, not, he's not, um, he's a nice dude, but I guess he doesn't really tell them when we're leaving and when we're not leaving. So they have to keep at the tax pyre, uh, taxpayer's dime a fully running apartment complex in Delaware so that they have people there with like, Go bags packed in case the president says, "Hey, we're leaving now," and you got to go with him to protect him, especially when he was the vice president. And and there were issues with with President Biden when he was vice president as far as the football, which is a, a military officer. And I think every branch, I think including the Coast Guard, has a representative that carries the football with the president, and then with the vice president. And the, and what the football is basically has the codes. There's a system involved how to counter a nuclear attack, like generally Russia, someone's carrying the codes that they can respond. They need to respond within 15 minutes, but it needs authorization to be coded, be decoded by um, the president. And then with the powers that be in whatever positions of authority, the Department of Defense, how we're going to respond, are we going to send missiles back at them? Very, very short time frame. And the vice president is followed by one as well in case the president is incapacitated. The vice president can, can do that. And one of the things the Secret Service was saying was that um, – when Joe Biden was vice president and he would go back to Delaware, they wanted to make sure he wanted to make sure he kept the just average Joe lunch pail, blue collar Joe. So he wouldn't let a lot of the vehicles in the convoy follow him. And it would be like his presidential vehicle or sorry, vice presidential vehicle and then one behind it. And then like 15 minutes behind him would be the other Secret Service agents with the football, meaning because he cares about his polit political image as a blue-collar guy, he's willing to risk the entire world by not responding if he needs to within 15 minutes because I need everyone in Delaware to think I'm blue-collar Joe. So that was always interesting that he you know, would throw that caution to the wind to maintain an image. Uh, other stuff about <laughs> swimming in pools with the... I'm not going to get into that because I can't confirm it, but... The author said that um, it would make some of the female Secret Service agents uncomfortable the way some of them would like to swim. But the what really jumped out at me, and this is when I was rolling through with my highlighter, I'm reading uh, from the time that uh, Vice President Biden was in office January 2009 to March of 2013. He racked up, average Joe, racked up um, the number here for fuel and maintenance on Air Force Two just between Andrews Air Field and Wilmington, Delaware, in that time frame, he charged, he racked up $979,680. Fuel and maintenance for his personal Air Force Two taxi cab. Even though he's famous for taking Amtrak, it wasn't uncommon for the vice president. Because you got to figure, the vice president lives at the Nabel, Nabel. The vice, I'm going to slow down now. The vice president of the United States lives at the Naval Observatory, which is in Washington, D.C., and he's got a full staff there, you know, five five people around the clock, everything from doing your shopping to your laundry to all your stuff. Staff there doing that, but he would take um, Marine 2. Wh whatever helicopter the president's in is Marine 1, usually Marine 1, and then Marine 2 is the president, then Air Force 1, and then Air Force 2. He would take Marine 2 from the observ – I can't say that word – the observatory over to Andrews, from Andrews, he would get off the plane and fly to Wilmington, Delaware. And it wasn't uncommon. Now, Wilmington, Delaware, and Washington, D.C. are about 100 miles apart. So you're flying basically a 737. It was not uncommon for him to go from the observatory to Andrews, 
to Wilmington, back to D.C., back to Wilmington in the same day. So that's a lot of maintenance, uh, especially for a normal blue-collar vice president, especially considering once you get off, they need to fly back empty. So you're kind of doubling the price there. And it wasn't uncommon for him to take it back down. If, if The weather was nice. So he flies up to Wilmington on a Friday. The weather's nice on Saturday. Fly back to Andrews, make the aircraft sit there, and then golf for five hours and go back to Wilmington on the taxpayer's dime. And, you know, I guess when you don't – like I was – I was in the Navy. I was at a Tier 1 unit, and we took private jets. And when we did, I thought it was awesome. And I wasn't, you know, I give a fuck about the taxpayer. Pass the mojitos, right? But uh, I I think that's part of the thing where I was saying, you know, five decades in that position, you kind of you kind of lose touch with reality. Yes, I want to be the average worker, but I also want to rack up a million dollars in frequent flyer mileage at your dime so I can fly 100 miles to Wilmington instead of taking the train that, by the way, built – Tracks named after me. I think there's the Joseph R. Biden fucking railroad tracks. Or I don't want to get technical, but I think that's what it's called. But just flying around and, and uh, becoming part of the element where you're used to getting everything that you want. And and we're all seeing them again. Did you see uh, just yesterday, uh, We I was mentioning some people who were getting incapacitated in office because perhaps they've been in office a little bit too long. And maybe when you're on your, I don't know how many terms, it's just time to hang it up. Um, our friend Senator Feinstein was in um, was in session yesterday, and there was a vote, and she started yapping, talking about something like she's debating something, not realizing the debate was over. And her aides, you can see them frantically saying, just say I, just say I, just vote, say I. She doesn't know where she is. And... Uh, other senators are like that. They're getting older. They're part of the swamp, and um, it is what it is. I'm sure that uh, even though today is Friday and it's a weekend, we're going to hear about them again on Monday, and then up until next week when they take five weeks off to hopefully have us forget everything that we ever learned about them. So that is one of the books I'm reading. It's, it's excellent. I'm going to probably finish that thing, highlighter out and everything. But because it is Friday and because we are having fun today um, – we I like to do some history lessons, which are which are interesting. It's always it's always good to remember your heritage, know your history, and it is Friday, so July twenty eighth. What happened? July twenty eighth. Well, July twenty eighth, nineteen forty five. Something really bad happened in New York City. Um, a B twenty five Mitchell bomber from the United States Army Air Forces crashed into the north side of the Empire State Building. So that always raises some eyebrows because the Empire State Building is still there. It was hit by a B-25, like I said. Uh, the B-25 bomber, so it's a, it's, I, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a prop plane, not a jet. So it's flying slower than a jet. And th- they actually became famous, the B-25, Um when Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Doolittle attacked mainland Japan four months after Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, Doolittle's Raiders. There was 15 of them that bombed mainland Japan, and they didn't do a shitload of damage, but it was more of a morale thing, like, we can reach you too, and it kind of had them shift a lot of their troops. There was So 15 planes hit mainland Japan. There was a 16th plane, I guess it participated, but it was forced to abort and land in Russia. And uh, the the Russians took care of them. That was World War II, so uh, they were our allies. The Allied powers, Russia, nothing really happened. But on July 28, 1945, it was a Saturday, um, Lieutenant Colonel William Franklin Smith Jr. of Watertown, Massachusetts, was piloting a B-25 Mitchell Bomber on a routine personnel transport mission from Bedford Army Airfield in Massachusetts to... What is now LaGuardia, and there's conflicting reports. I'm trying to do my research, but they were flying to what is now LaGuardia, and I guess they the visibility was shit, and they wanted to zero visibility. They wanted to land. They they were corrected by air traffic control, and they said they got to push to Newark, but be careful because the um, it's foggy as hell. Now I guess. They were heading, they were over Midtown Manhattan, and I guess he saw the Chrysler building, which is another 
another skyscraper in Manhattan. And at the time, the Empire State Building was the largest building in the country. And they were flying sort of low, whatever. He saw the Chrysler Building, and instead of turning left, he turned right to avoid the Chrysler Building. He smacked into the 79th floor of the north side of the Empire State Building. So between the 78th and 80th floor, and it made an 80 by 20 foot hole in the building into the offices of War Relief Services and the National Catholic Welfare Council. One engine shot through the south side opposite the impact and flew as far as the next block and dropped 900 feet and landed on the rooftop of a nearby building and caused a fire that destroyed a penthouse art studio. The other engine... And part of the landing gear fell down an elevator shaft. The resulting fire was extinguished in 40 minutes. And there were a few records set on that day. The Empire State Building fire is the highest structural fire to be brought under control by firefighters. So great job there. Firefighters got it. Now, here's what's kick-ass about this, is there were um, between 50 and 60 sightseers on the 86th floor observation deck when the crash happened. If, if you've never been up there... I would check that out. It's cool. It's outdoors, big fence, but it's, you're very high in the air, Empire State Building. Um, you, you know, obviously one of the best views in Manhattan. Definitely should check it out. But they're up there. And if you remember on 9-11, anyone above the crash site did not survive. But uh, these people did. There were 14 people total that were killed. The crew that were on the, the bird, one Navy dude who was hitching a ride and 11 civilians in the building. Um, one of the dudes... The his body was one of the the guy hitching a ride. His body was not found later until crews discovered it. it had entered an elevator shaft and followed to the bottom. Uh, the rest of them were burned beyond recognition, and um, there were about twenty four other people uh, injured as a result of the crash. This is one that kind of blew my mind. Elevator operator Betty Lou Oliver was thrown from her elevator car on the eightieth floor. And suffered severe burns. So she was an elevator operator, operator 80th floor. Um, first aid worker placed her on another elevator car to transport her to the ground, but the cable supporting the elevator had been damaged in the incident, and that elevator fell 75 stories until it ended up in the basement. Betty Lou Oliver survived that fall, I guess due to the softening cushion of the air created by the thing falling. Uh, she suffered a broken pelvis, a broken back neck, and um, that was that. She remains the world record holder. I don't want this record, but the longest fall survived in an elevator. And I'm thinking that one of one of the uh, urban legends is if you're in an elevator, that, I mean, there's emergency braking systems on elevators, and they should stop. But if it's in a free fall, I guess you're supposed to lay like on your back, and it will disseminate. Uh, the the impact, that's what they say. I don't want to find out. But hit by a plane on a Saturday, and then 48 hours later, it was open. Uh, despite the damages, 48 hours later, Monday morning, Empire State Building is open. Uh, fires out, you know, tragedy. But after it cleared away, and again, going through history, you run into some similar names. A guy by the name of Armand Hammer purchased the damaged 78th floor, refurbished it, and made it the headquarters of his United Distillers of America. Armand Hammer might sound familiar. His great-grandson is Army Hammer, who was an actor. He played both the Winklevi twins in The Social Network. I think it's a great movie. And he's a he was a damn good actor until he started eating people or whatever. He got in some trouble. Good documentary. So that uh and that's a that's a crazy if if you haven't been to Midtown, Midtown's a very very tall city. Not it's like it's not long. I mean it's you know uh, you up to the you know there's room, but it's not a it's tall. So if if you're dealing with the this pilot swerved right instead of left to avoid the Chrysler Building. Now the Chrysler Building is on 42nd and Lexington, and the Empire State Building is on like 34th and 5th, and the way that. <laughs> New York makes total sense. Okay, they're numbered, right? So going right to, if you're up in space, unless you're a flat earther, and you're looking down right to left, you got first, 
first half, second half, third, Lexington Park, Madison, fifth, sixth, uh, sixth is called Avenue of the Americas, and then your streets go that way, avenues go this way. So if you're on 34th and 5th and 42nd Lex, that's like eight blocks as the bomber flies. So you swerve one way, miss the other, and smack into the um, Empire State Building. Shit, that's a, that's a rough, rough day. But four days before the first anniversary. So in 1945, on July uh, 28th, Empire State Building was hit. Almost a year later, on July 24th, 1946, another aircraft narrowly missed striking the building. So another plane almost hit it. Uh, the unidentified twin-engine plane described as bearing no military insignia flew past the 68th floor and scraped the observation deck, startling workers and tourists there. So I'm on the observation deck. A plane scrapes the 68th floor. You're damn right I'm startled as a tourist. But that is a little, um, a little lesson in some of the history as far as New York goes. And, uh, you know, a couple other cool things happened July 28th. Let's have a look. So, uh, that, so that was the um, Empire State Building between 78 and 80, 80th floor. And I bring that up because recently in Manhattan, again, there was because I mentioned that the uh, the highest fire put out by um, firefighters was at the Empire State Building. Uh, the other day, there was a fire on a crane in Manhattan, right around 41st and 10th. Again, we're doing a little geography in New York. Uh, and a, the, a crane caught fire and then fell. And that was 47 floors up near uh, Hudson Yards, I think. So 47 stories is still a, a very, very high altitude for a fire in a, in a high rise. So again, firefighters being as brave as they are, they went up there. And I think they did take care of it a lot. I mean, a lot of the crane fell again. Scary. It hit the hit a building next to it. Could you imagine being in one of the penthouses and a crane across the street falls and takes off half of your wall and you're just kind of standing up there 400 feet in the air, whatever, <laughs> just looking down. But uh, that happened. Um, and if you've never been to New York and seeing all the people walking around all the time, um, it's amazing no one was killed there. But that was another high fire. Uh, we were talking history, July 28th. There is one more thing I'm going to bring up because of the way that history can repeat itself. And a lot of people that are in power, be it government, monarchy, or religious power for some reason, when we put them all together real close, a lot of violence breaks out. And this is the case 109 years ago is when uh, World War I started on July 28th, essentially. The way that that started was there was a country, um, Austria-Hungary, which was uh, the second largest country in Europe and it was a dual uh, monarchy so a multinational state with a single monarch so it's got one person in charge and he was titled both so it's Austria Hungary he was titled the Emperor of Austria and the King of Hungary that's pretty dope having those two titles but a big country there and there are separatists in different countries that don't like each other, again, because of different political reasons or because of different um, religious reasons. The heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne was a guy by the name of Franz Ferdinand. And, uh, he, yeah, he was the um, Archduke. Franz Fer Ferdinand is also a band you probably heard of. You've probably heard of the band more than you have of the Archduke. And, and they're actually touring in Europe right now. I just checked that out. They're touring all over there. I haven't seen any U.S. dates, but a kick-ass band. But anyway, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was the heir, was, was traveling to Sarajevo, which is the capital of Serbia. And on June 28, 1914, there was a, both an assassination attempt and an assassination of Franz Ferdinand and the Duchess, his wife, uh, Duchess Sophie. They went to Sarajevo. Some separatists didn't like him. They found out his route, and they ambushed him with grenades at his car, but they didn't, uh, they didn't kill him until an hour later when they were leaving a hospital visit. Franz Ferdinand was in a car, and I guess you know they took a wrong turn, they said, or whatever, and there was one separatist there with a pistol. He shot him at close range, killed the Archduke, and killed the Duchess Sophie, and then that's when Austria-Hungary gave an ultimatum to Serbia. Uh, you got to allow our troops in there to suppress terrorist forces. So you've got assassinations, assassination attempts, terrorists, different religions, people fighting. There's been a lot of fighting in Europe historically, um, and there was no—they they didn't 
the Serbs did not allow the the um, Austro-Hungarian forces in. So on July 28th, 109 years ago today, 1914, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. And a chain reaction started because, you know, Russia supported Serbia, Germany supported Austria-Hungary, so they naturally declare war on Russia. And France says, hey, we're buddies with Russia, so we're going to hop in. And that, I mean, when, when, when Franz Ferdinand was first... Um, assassinated in Serbia, when they went back to Austria-Hungary, they said no one really noticed. They were still hanging out. The way they described it was people were just hanging out in the streets and drinking wine as normal, but because we we have to have a war. And it could have been a lot of things. It could have been for politics. It could have been people shuffling around. It could have been because they wanted to try new warfare because this is a brand new, this is a brand new uh, era. We got trenches, but now we have artillery and tanks, and there's submarines. There's threats of aircraft, which we're going to try all this new stuff, and and the war is going to start, and it did. Uh, Declaration of war 109 years ago, like I said today, and when you look back, they they didn't call it they didn't call it World War One because there there was no World War II yet. I love that joke. They just call it, it would turn into the Great War. Everyone got involved. It was like one of the first wars where everyone's involved. It was mainly in Europe, but it did kind of spread a little bit. But to um, to hear, there was a poem written, I think, or some, some quote about this war that's going to start in July, and it's going to be a quick one. They, they, they sort of romanticized war because no one had really seen it, and this was about to get really, really bad, especially for the people who were fighting, not the politicians. But the quote was, in the summer of 1914, war was romantic. War was colorful flags, spiked helmets, and flashing sabers. War was an adventure. Those called to arms would be heroes, defending their homelands and way of life. The war would be over in days, surely before the leaves fell. So we're going to send some people in there to fight each other. It'll be over by fall, no big deal. Turn into uh, World War I. And we all fought each other in millions. Of, this is the first time millions of people were uh, were killed fighting like that. So that's that's kind of a glimpse at again history repeating itself and how people people in power and people behind those in power, the unelected diplomats <laughs> or whatever you want to call them, how they'll send people to war because of different reasons, and that was it. And it'll be over in no time, and no one will notice. But that happened 109 years ago today. So. That's a little history lesson. Obviously, we're gonna. I, I really want to get into World War One more because, again, it's one of those wars. Like, okay, what was that all about? But that happened. Just um, we talked about preparation in the beginning. We talk always about situational awareness. Don't be afraid to look up. Don't be afraid to look both ways when you cross the street, even on a one-way street. Take care of each other, and remember, you're never out of the fight. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.